0: Who should host the oscars who should host the oscars harrison ford <laughs> i can ne- i couldn't tell that you had just thought that up on the spot <laughs> you, you seem so confident and so prepared you were so ready for well, it well somebody somebody already tweeted the best suggestion ever and that was kevin spacey i mean he gets oh, yes that's right oh <laughs> uh, who was that actor? it, it will be his triumphant uh, coming out you <laughs> know it's like uh... <laughs> well no uh, there's this uh, actor hold on i'm gonna look him up mm-hmm. uh Take your time. Shut up. <laughs> Cola Scola. There's this actor named Cola Scola. Who Cola Scola? That's know, not a name. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> he tweeted that if you don't believe uh, Holly- there's no homo- er, there's no homophobia in Hollywood, just look at Kevin Spacey's career. He hasn't worked a day since he came <laughs> out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what this podcast should be, just repeating jokes we saw on Twitter. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, they're way funnier on Twitter than us. Exactly. Oh, wait. Who runs the Twitter account? That's you. That's on you, bro. What what do you mean it's on me? I I contribute what I can. Mm. I keep posting. I will never stop posting. That's for sure. (laughs) Even when we stop recording because we either get bored or nobody listens anymore. Um, What few few people do, don't listen anymore. (laughs) I will still keep posting. Don't think I will stop posting. All right. Good. good. Having said that, John... As, as many a uh, Hollywood outlet has pointed out, there is, no, there is no winning with choosing an Oscar host. I mean, no. what the heck are they going to do? And now that it's uh, mid December almost, I, it's, it's clear that they're not going to do something elaborate, <laughs> having, giving the host <laughs> only two months' preparation, because they're also mm. having the, the award show earlier in the year, actually, closer to the actual release dates of the movies nominated. Well, they just don't want to compete with uh, Avengers Endgame. You know that's going to be opening up. I think the same weekend as the Oscars, right? They keep moving it up and up uh, and up. Do they? So. No, you're thinking of you're thinking of Frozen two. Oh, okay, sorry. Frozen two, just as good as Wreck-It Ralph two. Yeah. Can't wait for Zootopia two, and Coco two. Well, the, hang, hang on. Let's not lump them into somehow Disney. Anyway, John, we're on the Oscars. Okay, that's <laughs> yes. That's sorry, 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 sorry. So I want to put you on the spot. Who should host the Oscars? Um, and I believe yeah, Kevin, Kevin Spacey Farage. has already said no. <laughs> Harry Knowles. <laughs> that's a that's a good suggestion. I think the Oscars should get weird. <gasps> Kevin Smith. He'd actually be pretty good. Uh, no, yes. He should come out in his jinkos and his hockey jersey. <laughs> <laughs> he could show off all his old fat pictures. That would be fun. Yeah. I know. I know. He's like. It's 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 weird seeing someone lose so much weight because it's like you really if you're gonna lose that much weight you really need the plastic surgery to tuck in all that skin because you just (laughs) look like a like a chemo patient. Don't say don't compare it to (laughs) chemotherapy patients as if they have a choice in the matter. (laughs) Okay, sorry about that. Yes, he's also in his mid I mean, he's not gonna he's not gonna be looking fresh and spry anymore, is he? No, I guess not. Being in his mid-50s. But (laughs) look, really, I just want to keep Kevin Spacey hosting and away from directing any more movies. Good one. Thank you. Well, I was going to say, it would also help um, bring a dirtbag element to the Oscars, which I think is sorely (laughs) needed. Because yes, there are all enough- these pretensions, it being a classy affair, like who are you wearing, and all the women have tasteful dresses. Screw that. All right. I want everybody in those Jennifer Lopez, like low cuts, all the way down to their minge. <laughs> I want to see some Cooters, baby. <laughs> yes. I want that. Um, who was it? Little Kim, who had her boob hanging out and a starfish <laughs> over it. I want that. <laughs> How about Aquafina? I think Aquafina would be a good host. Oh, she would be good, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, well, what else has she hosted? Yeah, I do. Uh, my uh, my corporate white man is, <laughs> is kicking in, and I want to see who, who has hosted a previous award show. Has she hosted anything before? Or? Uh, she's hosted SNL. That's enough. Nah, that's true. Don't you think? Yeah. D- On level, have you seen some of the latest season of SNL? I mean, it's not exactly. Have a you seen the Oscar ceremonies? <laughs> like, don't tell me that those are like the pinnacle of comedy. <laughs> no, they're not. Um, I was trying to remember shows past and. One of the most interminable was Alec Baldwin and Steve Martin to promote their film It's complicated <laughs> mm. that was yeah, I th- completely th- blocked that from my memory. Thank you mm. thank you. Do you remember I think Steve martin Steve Martin himself is a pretty decent host. They just yeah. have no material. There's no yeah. material to work with. What about Steve Martin and Martin short? Hmm? <gasps> oh oh. There we go. That's oh. agreeable. Everybody can agree with that. I mean, the, the show only appeals to people over sixty anyway, so <laughs> it definitely needs two hosts. That's for sure. Yes, um, and I think I think I just thought of the perfect pair: Gil Faison and George. Sapir. <laughs> That is based on another tweet as well. We should give attribution if we could remember who oh, actually tweeted shoot. that. Really? Yeah. I wasn't the first one to pick of that? No. Day. Oh, well. All right. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you mentioned that, because I would have said, based on their experience hosting the Independent Spirit Awards, I would give it to John Mulaney and Nick Kroll. But however, mm-hmm. come on, we need to be more diverse. We need to be more intersectional. So Awkwafina okay. is a good choice. Tiffany Haddish is a great choice. Uh, uh, 50 Cent. And <laughs> big Boy. There we go. That'll uh, work. Benicio Del Toro. Ooh, the Oscar the winner Toro and Selma Hayek and that'll wait what was no Javier Bardem and, and, and Penelope Cruz no Penelope Cruz his wife oh ooh. yeah ooh. they could do a bilingual yeah. show that's just too hot for TV I yeah, I, that's true I th- they'd be like why is there pornography on my screen <laughs> at 8pm on, on um, Sunday February 28th or whatever the hell day it is <laughs> Greg I thought you knew come on you're on top of these. I things. don't know. I, you're a movie maven. I don't. I'm. I'm completely off the show now. <laughs> After the Shape of Water one last year, I'm thinking. Eh, I'm good. <laughs> I mean, I assume the Shape of Water isn't a bad movie. I've never seen it, but <laughs> again, no, it's, it's just, just a dumb award show. It's dumb. It's stupid. Who cares? Yes, as you astutely pointed out, the the award show is over. <laughs> it's boring. <laughs> it's dull. It's a, it's a stayed tired, out of date format. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And it is literally just for the twenty rich people who get to sit in the front row and the camera keeps cutting back to it. the show is for them. To exactly. basically congratulate themselves and on the, getting, you know, And you you know, you have tight hide shots so you don't see them jerking each other off, <laughs> you know, underneath their chairs, so you know. Again, cancel the Oscars. Hashtag cancel the Oscars. Alright. You're cancelled, sis. <laughs> I, I'd say last year was the 90th award show, I believe. 90th or 91st, at least let them get to 100. At least give them that, and then uh, okay, yeah, If, they, the if they could survive that long, yeah, I'm I'm mm. betting about 5 million people tune in this year, <laughs> and there there's going to be skies falling uh, headlines on the Hollywood Reporter and Variety. <laughs> Just saying that the, the town is falling apart at the seams. We're giving we're giving the town over to uh, YouTubers now. <laughs> Those okay. are the most powerful people in Hollywood. Wait. I got it. Here's the thing that saves the Oscars streaming on Netflix live. Hey, boom! There we go. Done. Yeah. Why am I not a huge Hollywood mogul? I'm full know. of great ideas. It's pretty easy. I mean, it's only because it's only because you're not somebody's son or nephew, really. Exactly. <laughs> I just haven't failed upwardly hard enough. Yeah. There, there you go. <sighs> Greg, Hollywood's a crazy industry. Indeed, it is. But at least there will always be the films. <laughs> oh right, the films. I forgot about that. <laughs> Yes, welcome to the Aspiring Stops podcast, where we revisit classic films, uh, ones that we might not have seen yet. Yeah, and um, ones that we aren't eager to admit we haven't seen yet. And um, this week Mm. is a special case in that regard. Yes, because Greg, for the first time, sat down and watched Raiders of the Lost Ark. I know what you're asking yourself, dear listener, is that how can Greg, sexual Adonis that he is, (laughs) have not seen one of the greatest movies of all time, or at least, according to the internet, one of the greatest movies of all time. Actually, not even the internet. I'd say, of a certain generation, this is on par with Star Wars, Mm, basically being required viewing, even though it doesn't neatly fit into that, say, sci-fi or fantasy genre. Mm -hmm. It's more like a James Bond sort of film. And I could see how the James Bond movies can sort of, I am a big James Bond fan, but I could see how they kind of slip some people by in popular culture because they're not. It's not for everybody. Um, this movie, however, is a little bit more for everybody. Wouldn't you agree? Um. To a certain extent, I'd say so. I mean, again, it still fits nicely into that you know white male cross section that obviously movies are made for. Yeah, it does have that kind of more historical significance. I would say you compared a lot to Bond movies. I was seeing a lot of noir influences in this one. Okay. Obviously, given the time period and the style of it, and also punching Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we should probably explain is, um, and one thing I, I think we miss in the in the history of of this particular movie uh, because we think oh steven spielberg you know cinematic genius of course he would come out with another tentpole franchise in indiana jones this is coming off the heels of his greatest career flop which was (laughs) 1941 he did this weird epic comedy with the cast of snl Mm. um which which by all accounts was critically it was critically drubbed and a box office disaster Mm. So he was just looking for like a way to make money, and as he admits, he made basically a B movie inspired by these old like Republic adventure serials about like you know going to chase the mummy or this <laughs> stalwart detective has to find the clues and solve the mystery. And I gotta say, upon my first uh, first viewing of this movie, it it kind of feels that way. It feels a little yeah, cheesy today. It feels in a the, little, and maybe the same way that Jaws does, and the effects don't don't quite uh, work today. Uh, it kind of it kind of felt that way. See, I have a, I have a worse criticism for it. It felt a little empty. Well, like, oh, the, there's that too. Yeah. I always, I always knew it was just a simple adventure story, but I, you know, it, it's just a little disappointing that there wasn't just a little bit more there. And maybe it's because I have seen the sequels, so therefore now that's, uh, that's kind of colored what I expect mm-hmm. out of an Indiana Jones movie and what I know about the Indiana Jones character. But this kind of first current outing, we don't really learn anything about him, and he doesn't really go through any kind of. Huge personal arc. He does go through a personal arc, but it's really like kind of like dressing. It's not really <laughs> part of the core of the story. No, and that's why I compared it to James Bond because it's it's more the fantasy of of being the stalwart hero and getting the girl in the end and and mm-hmm. winning the day. Yeah, rather than say what Steven Spielberg has done in his other blockbusters like Jaws and Jurassic Park, it is layer it underneath a theme about, say, fatherhood or family, or or giving it an emotional pull. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was really missing with Indiana Jones. Yes, you get that fantasy, but I really needed an emotional pull. No, especially not in this first one. Maybe you kind of get it in the next two, but definitely not this one. Um, Do you think it helped that we've we've both seen, um, or well, you've seen Temple of Doom, I've seen... Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Do you think it helped that we've basically seen the, the other iterations of this or later drafts of this basic <laughs> template and the first one just looks a little rougher around the edges? Do you yeah, think, that, I think that? I think that's definitely part of it. Yeah. Like, for instance, there's always these. I'm, I'm always late to the game, guys. That's why this movie, that's why this podcast is called Aspiring Snobs. I'm late to the game. Yes. That's why it exists. <laughs> yeah. And I'll always end up inevitably hearing, like, let's say, for example, someone recommends me, like, uh, Radiohead or something like that. I was late to the game yeah. on like Radiohead. So I listened to their later albums and I liked it first and I liked it a lot and I thought it was great. And then I go back to the earlier stuff and I'm like, oh, this stuff isn't as good. But if I'd started with the earlier stuff, I'd probably inevitably dis- be disappointed with the newer stuff. And again, because we've seen The Last Crusade first it's probably colored our opinion of this original one. Whereas people who saw the original first were probably blown away. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I I want to speak to that. I think what really blows people away is Harrison Ford in his iconic costume, and also the character he's playing. Because it opens with this, what I will say is is an interesting, or at least a compelling first scene. Mm -hmm. Um, However, it is belied by, as you said, the emptiness. Because there's that great introduction where they're stalking through the jungle, um, he comes to a, a clearing, like a little pond or swamp or something like that. A guy points a gun at him, and he pulls out his uh, his iconic whip and takes it away and then mm-hmm. emerges out of the shadow. And I was thinking, like, but why did he point the gun at him? <laughs> <laughs> they haven't found the treasure yet. I mean, obviously, the, the, his two cohorts aren't exactly the most savory characters in the world. We know that. But, again, it's like... There, there's a little logical disconnect and it's more like you have to give yourself over emotionally to the story even if those emotions like say having a father figure or let's say having a family or a romance as we get into later like aren't exactly aren't exactly made yet so you do get that kind of fantasy of like being a stalwart hero but i think the other key is what's what's following following the. You know, amazing opening where again, you know, you know what the, you know what the scene is, <laughs> <laughs> taking the idol out. You know, big ball rolling. You know, booby traps. Uh, booby traps. Booby traps. Yeah. Um, Who knew that ancient people were such amazing engineers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Bellog laughing. Like you know all that, but I think what's what's key is the very next scene that we cut to. Do you remember what the very next scene is? He's literally in class. He's he's in class and after like marcus brody like whisks him away i see he's like like uh, scrambling to collect his papers he's a nerd too <laughs> And I think that's that's the key appeal to the to the character is like he's two different he gets to be two different people like he gets to be a superhero like he mm-hmm. gets to be Clark Kent in one scene mm-hmm. where you can really identify with him especially the let's say Star Wars geeks um, who came to this movie like loving George Lucas and Harrison Ford and all that but you also get to be this alter ego this this superhero who's, mm-hmm. who who uh, goes who's courageous adventures. in every situation yeah who goes off in adventures and is courageous in every situation mm-hmm. yeah but it's also wh- I think the weird creepy element of that thing, too, is that even when he's professor and a nerd. He's still like a sex symbol. Like his class is populated too. with all of the youngest ladies and they're all in his <laughs> class just to fawn over him. They're not even paying attention. Going so far as one has written love you on the inside of their eyelids. That was kind of creepy and weird. <laughs> yeah, I didn't look through, thoroughly look through the endless IMDb to be <laughs> trivia on this. I was wondering if that was inspired, like in the making of, somebody said, oh, that was inspired by blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh, there was this 1950s movie where they did it and yes. I thought it would be cool <laughs> if we did it. Pay oh my Yesterday afternoon, our European sections intercepted a a German communique that was sent from Cairo to Berlin. You see, over the last two years, the Nazis have had teams of archaeologists running around the world looking for all kinds of religious artifacts. Hitler's a nut on the subject. He's crazy. He's obsessed with the occult. And right now, apparently, there's some kind of German archaeological dig going on in the desert outside of Cairo. Now, we've got some information here, but we can't make anything out of it. And maybe you can. Tannis Development Proceeding. Acquire Headpiece Staff of Ra, Abner Ravenwood, U.S. Nazis have discovered Tannis. Just what does that mean to you, uh, Tannis? Well, well, the city of Tanis is one of the possible resting places of the Lost Ark. The Lost Ark? Yeah, the Ark of the Covenant, the chest the Hebrews used to carry around the Ten Commandments. What do you what mean, Ten mean Commandments? You're talking about THE Ten Commandments? Yes, the, the actual Ten Commandments, the original stone tablets that Moses brought down out of Mont Haro have and smashed, if you believe in that sort of thing. Do you, you guys ever go to Sunday school? Yeah, the, but I think the contradiction works in terms of if you give yourself over to the Indiana Jones fantasy, um, well, that's what makes all Steven Spielberg films work, is that you have to give yourself over to them and forget logic. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Um, but it did, it did bring up, in my mind, because um, now I'm an adult watching these films, sexuality. Mm. Because, I mean, come on, why... <laughs> I guess I guess it shows what a what a maybe because he's a stalwart Christian man. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't give himself over to the temptations of these of these harlot and Jezebel students. Excuse um, me, excuse <laughs> me. Okay, let's talk about his relationship with Marion, shall we? Well, exactly. <laughs> so, his connection to Marion and this I also didn't quite get. He has to fly to Nepal to the foothills of the Himalayas um, to basically. See his an old flame, mm-hmm. uh, what I assume is an old flame. Their actual connection is that she's the daughter of an old colleague of his. Mm-hmm. And she was a child at this point. Let's not also forget about that. <laughs> okay. That that <laughs> she I missed. makes that she makes that quite clear. It's like I was a child. All right. Yeah. So so maybe maybe their relationship still is platonic at this point. Mm, doesn't stay that way for long though. I <laughs> know, <laughs> no, it does not. <laughs> well, it sort of does. I mean, we'll, we'll, I mean, we'll get just... to that scene later. But <laughs> Marion's just such a weird character because again, she's supposed to be this—it's it, that contrast that movies always love. She's this tough, hardened chick, but her only reason to be in the plot is to be a damsel who needs to be saved. And I don't think so. I think there well there are attempts, you're right. I think in, She gets kidnapped twice, Greg. Come on. I know in practice. I think in, if, if their goal was to have a more a stronger kind of sassier female character. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a small business owner for one thing, John. <laughs> <laughs> Can she have it all though? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, clearly not. I mean, she's not a, she's not a romantic either. I mean, all um, she's looking for is a I d- I don't guy. know what the, I don't honest. know what the pool of yeah, I don't know what the pool of dudes is in, the, uh, in Nepal or whatever, but <laughs> probably not a lot of good husband material there but mm-hmm. but you're right i mean the the reason to go there is this amulet and that's i think that's the other problem is there's too much exposition on what exactly is at stake here mm-hmm. um and it's less compelling than say the the holy grail yeah or the um the tribe in in india or something like those more immediately come to mind as being a noble goal the ark of the covenant like you and i both grew up in the church and we we, we barely know what it is <laughs> I don't think it's that. I think the fact is the movie has too much of a MacGuffin problem. It's like, first it's oh, the too, amulet yeah. and we have to fight over the amulet. You know, And eventually we save the day and we save the amulet. Oh, turns out they have their own amulet. And so, oh, but they <laughs> didn't put it in the right place so they're not digging in the right place. So now we, get, we found the real Ark of the Covenant. Oh wait, they took the Ark of the Covenant. Oh wait, there was an yeah. action scene and we got it back. Oh wait, they captured it again. It's mm-hmm. the, the problem is the movie is a little too circular, but you're swept up in the excitement of it. You're swept up in the emotionality of it that you don't really notice that we're just basically going in circles with just, oh, they captured it. We captured it back. They captured it again. <laughs> Same thing with Marion. Oh, she was captured. We got away. She got captured again. It, yeah, it is amazing how we kind of accept this sort of uh, cinematic wheel spinning mm-hmm. of a story. But something like, say, Star Wars The Last Jedi, we refuse to accept that anymore. <laughs> Maybe it's because of expectations. This being the first Indiana Jones film, and, you know, it it allows us to be impressed and fall in love. You know, <laughs> fall uh, truly madly, deeply in love for the first time, rather than, say, uh, Star Wars, who is now an older lover, um, mm-hmm. who could do nothing but disappoint us. <laughs> I mean, speaking of that, have you revisited the Crystal Skull recently? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that t- oh, I guess that's a, that's an even better <laughs> analogy. I know it's completely We've completely forgotten about it. We haven't even mentioned it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even though that's probably, probably a, for the best. Probably for the best. Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of the better ones. <laughs> Don't at me. Let's let's rank the Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> of when this is done. Anyway, no exactly. no rankings. No, no this is no, not a, this no is not rankings. a competition. We're talking about. Marion, and yes, the weird kind of creepy vibes. You're right, in terms of like narrative wheel spinning, because this is also our introduction to one of the main baddies, mm-hmm. uh, whose name I can't remember, but you know what he looks like. Um, <laughs> and creepy... you know what he looks like at the very end when he melts. But <laughs> yeah, he's the creepy Nazi guy. And his name <laughs> yeah. is, uh, he's a colonel or something like that, right? I think it's Dietrich. I don't know. Dietrich? Yeah, Dietrich. It Dietrich? I, think Dietrich? It's, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah whatever he's all look okay yeah so <laughs> look a okay. creepy german accent <laughs> now what should we talk about <laughs> yeah and again it's kind of speaking to I didn't feel like we needed an action beat here, but the movie still supplies one. Mm-hmm. Same with the chase later. I mean, they basically go from Nepal to Cairo, I believe, and then there's another like chase out of nowhere, or at least it's not set up or properly motivated. Or like, there's so much exposition. Like, oh, this Ark of the Covenant. Like, do you know what powers we're dealing with here? <laughs> well, that's when, when I, again it goes back to the whole arc that Indiana Jones needs to have. He's a skeptic. Oh, you know that too. nothing. <laughs> you know, old hokey religions is not as good as a blaster on your side you know that whole thing <laughs> yeah he's just playing han solo again <laughs> well not in the initial scene he's like oh wait a minute this could be the the last remains of the lost ark he's actually gung-ho about it and they well, describe no, he... him as an expert in the occult he's not he's not skeptical in the way that han solo is i guess not but the whole point is the fact that he, he you know he's an expert in the occult and obviously he wants to save it for historical reasons he doesn't think it's really a weapon he doesn't think it has any magical powers until the end when it reveals yes it does which is also kind of weird. Like, this movie has no supernatural element until the very end. Which also kind of... But I guess that's kind of all of them, when you think about it. I, I guess so, yeah. Well, because it, it's building up to that great Ned end. I, I think a problem is, is that you wouldn't buy it.
1: Mm-hmm. I,
0: I guess the other great lim- liminal thrill that you get is from the real stunts that go on. I mean... I think when I was speaking about the action, I was a little disappointed in these opening scenes because I know what's coming in terms of like him the this incredible stunt of a guy getting dragged underneath a, mm-hmm. a big military truck and using like Indy's indie using his whip to be dragged along mm-hmm. and thrown over the hood and a, a whole jeep falling off a cliff like those those stunts also work on a practical level and I think you you expect that more than you would say like the special effects like one thing I guess we could talk about. Kind of, It feels a little cheesy at points. Uh, maybe some things don't work nearly 40 <clears throat> years later. How, and speaking to that, there are some effects that also don't work. Like at one point, um, the rod, the uh, Legend of Zelda rod, the light shines in. <laughs> I say that flippantly. Obviously, obviously, they were inspired by this movie. Clearly, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> following that, they know the true location of the Ark in this pit of—I I believe the pit of souls or something like that—that's filled mm-hmm. with the snakes. well of souls. Well of souls, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And th- when they're digging it up, it's night and a storm is brewing, <laughs> just to signal the uh, the supernatural threat that's uh, going to be mm-hmm. coming later. The impending doom. And yeah, like that, those blue screen effects don't quite, uh, don't quite live up to today. That didn't, I um, didn't mind that so much, I don't, yeah, I don't, really? I don't okay. yeah, I don't, I don't tend to get bothered by special effects um, that much, if they're dated, if they're like really bad, then yeah, obviously, but um, yeah, for some reason I didn't, you know, I was kind of swept up in it a little too much to really care, like again, I, okay. I like the, I like the tone of it, the fact that. Because, I, again, I was complaining about the lack of kind of supernatural elements, but now you just kind of reminded me. I did appreciate that, the fact that they, you know, this is dark and mysterious. And, you know, there are times when this movie kind of becomes, like, I think the reason why this movie endures so much is that it is hitting all those quadrants. And there are a few moments where it does become a now and out horror movie. Where we see, like, skeletons (laughs) and, you know, there's that moment where uh, Marion's freaking out because she sees a skeleton and a snake is crawling through the jawbone. It's, you know... Oh, yeah. There's some very scary moments. Oh, yeah, there's great imagery, I mean... Mm-hmm. All the iconic shots of like uh, his first introduction to Marion—well, not introduction. Let's say reunion with Marion. It's—it's a he casts a giant shadow. So many hat. shadows in this movie. It's all yeah. about shadows. <laughs> Even when they're lifting the Ark of the Covenant, you know, you you see it cast in shadow along the wall first. It's all mm-hmm. about shadows and lighting in this movie. I know he's a, he's a he paints with light. That's Steven Spielberg, or at least his cinematographers do. Hot take, Steven Spielberg. Good director. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should revisit this guy, see what else he's done. <laughs> Sorry, Indy. Indy, why does the floor move? Give me your torch. snakes and well you're right there is the there's those the the at least the initial thrill of those images and the little horror imagery i do like that yeah there's a little it's it's not exactly a kiddie film it's not exactly soft Mm -hmm. but the story is still i want a little bit more consequence with the story yeah um no, because plot-wise, this movie it, it, kind of blows. <laughs> but it's all about the excitement. Oh, it's all about the adventure. That, that's true. Well, that's a, you could still make an exciting adventure story and still feel the sense of like consequence. Hmm. Um, again, the the problem with the Ark of the Covenant is that it's too nebulous, and you don't know that the threat that the Nazis acquiring it poses. Um That is true. Whereas I believe in the whereas I believe in the third movie, the Last Crusade, they do say like uh, the Holy Grail will give you eternal life. Now imagine like uh, Nazi super soldiers that can't be killed or have eternal life. Like Mm. what will happen then? So yeah, even uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull also you know gives you the threat. It's the communists want this psychic alien power so they can embed ideas into your mind, (gasps) control our minds, ruin American individuality, our rugged individuality. How dare you? (laughs) So yeah, this movie obviously doesn't do that as well. Like, again, we get that one picture of that one rendering of what the Ark of the Covenant could do, but again, we get no explanation yeah. of it. It's not referred to really as a weapon. It's just, it, it's implied that it has some kind of occult magical powers. Yeah. And again, speaking to consequence, I do like the little twist in the middle where it appears that Marion has died.
1: I didn't I like Because we get
0: to... Uh, well, because it forced us to get see a different side of Indiana Jones and a little bit more consequence of the story, and also a little bit more motivation for him. I guess. Like obviously he's. Obviously, he's passionate about archaeology and and finding these lost treasures, but also it give him like a little revenge motiv- motivation, mm-hmm. like just a little bit more drama. That's what I want. I wanted more juice, John. Give me the juice. <laughs> <laughs> I think all right. And I there really and did. there just wasn't enough juice behind the story, other than like you know this nebulous uh, religious artifact from exactly. thousands of years ago. No, I think I I think it, what bothered me is like again, obviously, I know this movie by reputation, and I know she doesn't die. And yeah. I think it just kind of added to that, my problem with the whole plot, which is it's just too circular. Oh, Marion dies. Wait, no, she's not. She's alive. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Like, oh, yeah. the Ark of the Covenant's stolen. Oh, wait, we got it back. It's okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> but we stole it back, and then they <laughs> got it back. <laughs> exactly. And you're right, I do think it does give a little bit of emotional stakes, but it hap- it's over so quickly. We get that little yeah, that's scene with Sully, yeah. and, you know, like, that's pretty much it the movie just kind of moves too quickly I think <laughs> it's not paced very well uh, no I mean yeah it, do, it does move very quick I believe this is a two hour movie and it felt like over in about 30 minutes or so yeah exactly um, well I the reason I do like that little plot twist with Marion at least seemingly dying is because it does challenge what, what we expect out of the story mm-hmm. um, I was going to point out as we're progressing through the plot laboriously my other favorite scene was when they've kidnapped Marion um, mm-hmm. for reasons unknown um, other than Belloc uh, courting her affections I mean he likes her essentially yeah. that's that's the reason that they kidnapped her he wants his wench yeah <laughs> not wench Sean uh, consort uh, he's French he's very French so <laughs> in spite of a terrible French accent but well, that's easy what's he right supposed there. to be French I thought he was supposed yes, to be Spanish yes. <laughs> whatever But I do like that scene when they're going to the final, I guess, resting place on this Greek island, and then uh, Indiana Jones ascends with an RPG Mm -hmm. (laughs) and basically threatens to shoot the Ark of the Covenant, Mm -hmm. uh, basically to rescue Marion. Mm -hmm. And I do like that Bellog kind of twists it around and says, like, hey, go ahead. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. Because he kind of knows, and it's a good twist on kind of his motivations. Like that's that's what I really wanted more. Like it's not just it's not just he that he's played by an iconic actor in this uh, in his trademark duds. It's that he needs something more to him, mm-hmm. and I think these two scenes: a when Marion dies, and b when Bellog basically kind of threatens or allows him to blow up this artifact that he's desperately trying to acquire. Mm-hmm. These two scenes are basically what challenges that character a little bit the most. And that's that's what compelled me the most. Yeah, Yeah, you're actually, that is actually really, really true. I mean, I guess going, uh, we can't talk about this movie without talking about all Indiana Jones films. And that's ultimately, I think, one of the big arcs from all the movies, especially the third one, is what does Indy value more? People or artifacts, mm-hmm. and that is always yeah. the the twist that he's always thrown into. And the, the other, especially weird scene involving Marion getting kidnapped. He finds her, and she's alive. And now he realizes she's alive, and he's about to rescue her until he realizes, wait, if you escape, then they're going to be on high <laughs> alert, and we won't be able to dig <laughs> for it. And he lets her remain kidnapped. Yeah, <laughs> like it the artifact ties her mouth shut. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the artifact is clearly more important than your life. And then this mm-hmm. is a nice little twist on the scene where. You know, when he's threatening the Ark of the Covenant with the RPG, he says, like, all I want is a girl. Like, he values her life more than the Ark of the Covenant. Or at least so you think until he's like, I can't do it. Yeah, Bellow calls his bluff. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And then bring it full circle to the third movie, The Best One. Yes, you know he's dangling for his life. His father's trying to save him, and he's trying to reach it. I can almost get it, Dad. Yes, (laughs) yes, and the character who's obviously devoted to his whole life Mm -hmm. to the Holy Grail. (laughs) Yep, turns it back on his son. Says like, "Hey, let it go. I value your life before Indiana. Let it go. (laughs) Oh, and slap that bitch if she gets out of line. (laughs) That was a weird line." That is not the real line, John. I will not have you impugn the the quality of the great Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. The best, one of the greatest movies of all time, not just in this particular series. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely. But it's true. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that feels like the fulfillment of this movie's potential. And Raiders of the Lost Ark is like a rough draft. Granted, a pretty compelling rough draft. Mm -hmm. I mean, very good rough draft. Yeah, but still, I mean, if you want to see greatness on screen, go see that third movie, mm-hmm. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, <laughs> this, this episode was basically an excuse to recommend Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah. <laughs> I'll also expose myself to it the first time. Okay. I mean, I'm glad I could kind of fill in the blank spots, because all I knew was literally the first scene, the last scene, <laughs> and maybe maybe a few like little things in between. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like the super close up on his eyes, like when he runs when he's chasing after Marion in the basket, and he literally runs like inches away from the camera's lens <laughs> <laughs> also that Nazi monkey bothered me a lot like the they, Nazi monkey? The, the the monkey is obviously in cahoots with the Nazis cuz his owner is getting paid off by the Nazis to spy well, on him. Well, them. no, but no, they keep the a... monkey around anyway. <laughs> he's a, he's a hanger on. Well, don't worry, John, he dies. <laughs> yeah, the monkey dies. The monkey, the Nazi yeah. monkey dies. Uh, for being yeah, for being a Nazi collaborator. I don't think he's a Nazi himself. He's more the um uh, oh. <laughs> a, uh like a What's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Like a collaborator, <laughs> but oh, not necessarily oh, okay. part of the Nazi party. Oh, great. Okay, yeah, we'll give him a pass. Okay, yeah, you yes. know, I'm I sure mean, there's good people. Have, he definitely would have turned in Jews during the Holocaust. <laughs> That's that. However, oh, there's good people on both sides. Okay, yeah. both yeah. sides are. To blame. I'm sure Argentina would be happy to take in that monkey <laughs> had he lived. I will say though, it, it's, even though I'm a little lukewarm on the movie, one of the best climaxes ever. I mean, come on! <laughs> Again, and going back to that horror element, just watching people's faces melt, <laughs> melt. and they get yeah. stabbed I, in the gut. Yeah. Light. I like the guy who gets sucked into his own body. That's great puppet work. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. And then you get the ghostly <laughs> vestiges. You know, it's like a, it's a heavenly angel, and then all of a sudden her face turns distorted and gross. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, yeah. That that said, it does point out another problem in that. And I think some other like fans and their reconsiderations of this movie, like like these movies in Star Wars, obviously get put up to way more scrutiny than any other films mm-hmm, <laughs> in the world. Absolutely, yeah. And this one pointed out that basically Indy has no agency in the story. Like, if he was not involved, the Nazis still would have gone to this island, opened up the Ar- uh, ark of the Covenant, mm-hmm. and been decimated <laughs> in the same way. Had Indy even been there, so oh, yeah, <laughs> good point. It's kind as you said, like wheel spinning. Like the other problem with these, these movies is that Indiana is not a active part of the story. Like, things kind of happen around him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he usually finds it first, but then, you know, obviously it gets captured before like before he gets his hands on it or whatever. So, yeah. Just like that first which, scene. He's the one who does all the work, and then the bad guys come in and take it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that always happens. <laughs> exactly. That's Indiana Jones' life, sadly. So, yes. <laughs> which Which is also why the third one, the best one... Mm. <laughs> is is the uh the, the pinnacle of this series and and movie making in general it's mm. because he takes a much more active role in finding the holy grail exactly so, exactly using his wits although <laughs> is it time to reconsider kingdom of the crystal skull i think it is <laughs> i have a the, on this year it's 10th anniversary yep i have ten thousand word uh essay reconsidering and i have a video yes. essay ready <laughs> to go <laughs> was it really that uh, bad? an hour and 20 minutes sorry actually no two one hour and 20 minutes installments <laughs> part part one of two. In <laughs> part two of two. Look out for them soon. Reconsidering yep. the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull mm-hmm. and why it's actually a cinematic achievement. <laughs> why it's the best of the series. <laughs> he has a son named Mutt. Get it? <laughs> like anyway. a dog, and he's named after the dog Indiana. Come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny. It's funny. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. It's all funny. Every piece of yeah. it is brilliant. Yeah. So, in conclusion, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is great. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, trash. Forget it. Don't see it. Garbage. Garbage. It's old. Look at how bad the special effects are. Gross. I know. Yeah. It's not even funny. I mean, it's not. It's not funny in the way that Mud is. I mean, there's only one monkey. Uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull has like a dozen monkeys. <laughs> many, many monkeys. If we're going yeah. on a simple monkey-based metric. And Crystal Skull is the best of the series. (laughs) Although Temple of Doom has a few monkeys. They're all just dead. They're all just eating their brains. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. In a very tastefully done scene. Um, (laughs) Talk about intersectionality. I think it really shows good representation in that movie. Oh, but the Simpsons can't do all poo? This is ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of things that satisfy white straight males, let's go to a signature segment, Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. Spotlight tonight. Gonna go out. got to go out. Get, get some, some food. food. If you're coming in for the first time on our 111th episode, <laughs> <laughs> this is a section where we recommend something to not only not only to each other, but also the listeners in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually something a little bit smaller, maybe something you hadn't heard of before. Exactly, and we like to keep it relevant. We like to keep it a uh, you know recent. Absolutely. And John, you and I are... I want to go first, if that's okay with you. Oh, I go mean. right ahead. Go right ahead. Okay. All right. The reason I want to go first is because you and I are champions of independent film. Of course. So we want to shine a spotlight, as, as it were. Um, <laughs> hey, that's the name of the segment. Anyway, <laughs> on you know young, up-and-coming filmmakers who you may not have heard about before. Mm-hmm. And there are two young lads in Australia that I want to bring particular attention to. They're called okay. Fairburn Films. Have you seen these guys, John? Uh, probably, but you're gonna have to remind me. Okay. Well, Again, you're at the mercy of the YouTube algorithm here oh. okay, <laughs> to actually see them. My first exposure to them was because I was looking up Red Dead Redemption stuff. And they have a skit called If Red Dead Redemption 2 Took Place in Australia. <laughs> and it turns out that that's essentially what these guys do is little one-on-one skits. It's two brothers uh, whose names I can't remember. Um, they do have very Mormon names that I do. It's like Jackson with like five X's. <laughs> and, um <laughs> Like Cooper with uh, three P's or something like that, but um, they live out in the bush in Australia and they do these fun little skits just between the two of them. And the and the one in particular I saw um, that exposed me to them was um, one of them riding in on a horse and, with a knife uh, trying to rob another dude mm. um, and basically explaining like how are you robbing me from atop a horse on a knife? And one <laughs> of them gets really frustrated. That's basically the template that they follow. It's a little bit okay. re- re- repetitive. Yeah, it's a little bit repetitive. These sketches. Um, however, I just love the the little chemistry and Contrast between them, they one of the brothers is um, a little bit portlier. Mm-hmm. They're both redheads, and one of them is a little bit portlier, so they do have this kind of a laurel and hearty quality to them. <laughs> yeah. But it always starts off on the premise of uh, one getting very frustrated with the other. Uh, my other favorite skit is when they're playing. Um, uh, oh shoot, what's the game called? I was going to say Yahtzee. That's not right. Um, when they're playing <laughs> poker. When they're playing un- Yes. <laughs> no. When they're playing Uno. And one of them pulls a draw four on the other. Okay, and it leads to a huge fracturing in their relationship. Oh, I no. mean, how could how could you possibly? Yes, how could you possibly pull a draw four on another person? I mean, who would do that? Much less to a family member. No, wow, that hurts. That hurts. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you and I know being brothers. Um, I will say also helped by their Australian accents, which are always hilarious. I mean, come on. <laughs> But of the of the uh, skit dwellers on, on YouTube, they're they're not very they're pretty delightful and not obnoxious yet. So I, I, I want to give them all the attention that I. Get. I was gonna say, Greg, I thought sketch comedy on YouTube was dead.
1: It's all about <laughs> gameplay videos. I know. Have you seen
0: Have you seen SNL lately? I mean, yeah, sketch comedy is on its last legs here. I mean, <laughs> it's on its deathbed. Okay. We need we need we need all the help we can get. And and yes, the the Fairburn Films is a little crude. Um, it's not—it's not the slickest produced stuff in the world. That's also mm-hmm. what makes it so charming. I think. Okay. Is that they are like out? It's—it's it's also clear that they're—they're they're somewhere. I don't know exactly where they are in Australia, but it is probably like left of nowhere. Alice Springs. Um, they're in Alice Springs. Alice Springs, Springs yeah. <laughs> East of Perth or something. I don't know, mm. but I do admire their comedy chops. These two. So. Um, okay. I just want to give these brothers a thumbs up and say, hey, keep up the good work, guys. From my All condescending right. place here in America, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where real comedy lives. <laughs> yes. Absolutely where real entertainment lives like oh it's so cute when other countries try (laughs) yeah maybe in 40 years you'll be just as funny as snl is now (laughs) did you see when they sang about robert Mueller? hilarious (laughs) that alec baldwin guy he can do no wrong okay he's the best yeah yeah the best trump impression nobody else has done a good one except him And he's just plumbing new grounds with it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> plumbing new depths. <laughs> In the yawning pit that once was the bottom of the barrel. But oh, anyway, oh. enough enough negativity about SNL. Fairburn Films, thumbs up. Okay. Solid job, guys. All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, my yeah. spotlight, unfortunately, is a little more ambivalent. But I have to talk about it because I can't stop myself. I have an addiction. Okay. I have a problem. <laughs> Okay, um, Th- thus explaining the ambivalence, which uh, means you you vary wildly between love and dislike. I mean, exactly, that's, that's the dexter- dictionary definition of ambivalence. So, thank wow, you, John thank for you using Greg. It Can you tell Greg was an English major? Does Greg <laughs> have to yeah. you know prove it to himself that it was worth yes. it this whole time? Yes. Damn. <laughs> Anywho, <laughs> all the ladies are wet. <laughs> <laughs> I explain dictionary definitions, but John, go ahead. Don't mean, don't mean to step on your toes. <laughs> Netflix recently announced that they are going to get exclusive streaming rights to the te- television show from the '90s, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Yes, and wow. the the internet collectively creamed its jeans. It? <laughs> exactly, and yeah, so we're earning that explicit tag today, aren't we? Yes, we are. <laughs> all of the ladies are wet now that I've announced. Yeah. this. <laughs> it is as damp as a basement down there, all milky. <laughs> <God. laughs> Anywho, um, I can't say <sighs> I have tried nine times I can think to watch this whole show <laughs> all the I way through. I love the through. precision of here, yeah. <laughs> and I can't I can't make it. But I'm like, as soon as they announce it, I'm like, all right, it's gonna be this time. This time, I will sit down and I will watch every single episode and I will finally form a fully validated opinion of it. Cause I, it's it's just so weird. It's so bizarre mm. and psychedelic and strange and it doesn't yeah. start out that way it doesn't start out that way it, yeah if you could have please explain because i think the crossover between our listeners however few they are <laughs> and neon genesis evangelion fans not a lot of th- that venn diagram very thin okay. so please please explain the show to them so it starts off as a very kind of like bog standard uh, post-apocalyptic uh, mecha anime basically uh Earth has yes, been giant robots. Yes, yeah. Earth has been decimated by this event called the uh, first impact, or is it the second mm-hmm. impact? I can't remember. There's been impacts, okay, yeah. and Earth okay. has been yeah. decimated. Um, we got impacts, folks. Yeah, we got impacts, folks. <laughs> um, but human ingenuity, you know, we, we've they've they've formed a new kind of like basic, you know, way of living that's that's pretty bog standard compared to today. Like obviously, there's still raid alerts whenever these creatures attack again. These creatures are referred to as angels because they come from the heavens and they just decimate the land. Um, they mm-hmm. clearly are out for humanity, and no one knows quite why. Um, yeah. so but John, it- who are our heroes? Who do we get to, to, to combat this uh, mm-hmm. this otherworldly threat? <laughs> um, enter Nerve. It's a secret <laughs> government agency that has built gigantic mecha machines called Ava's to battle uh-huh. the angels. Yes, and John, who do we get to pilot these machines? I mean, obviously Earth's Mighty's Heroes, I assume. Uh, you would think so. <laughs> Sadly, the best they can do is Shinji Akari, who is a sad, sad, sad little boy who can't seem to please his father. <laughs> and his mom is dead. Yeah. And, and probably very sickly. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> So uh, we follow Shinji as he, uh, and again, it starts off. It, it, it almost like it lures you in because the first few episodes are very kind of straightforward. They're about this kid, and you know, it's like a monster of the week thing. But you know, you gotta admit, yeah. the the monsters are just so crazy. These angels are just they're not monsters. They're like weird geometric shapes that just fall from the sky <laughs> and, sh- and shoot lasers. Like there's one that's just like a big spiraling double helix, <laughs> and it just like it 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 turns into a circle and then just a beam shoots down and it just blows up the land it's it's so bizarre and the Mm avas themselves are absolutely great because they're actually more biomechanical than anything else there there's it's implied that there's like fleshy bits underneath all the metal components and when Shinji's piloting him you know he's like he's drenched in this liquid like he's literally like absorbed in this liquid that he refers to as blood which it kind of is (laughs) and there's parts where the you know he loses control like mentally and the machine just kind of goes berserk and you know like it opens up a gaping maw that you didn't even realize it had and just like tears into these angels and there's like blood everywhere Mm -hmm. and it's crazy like you weren't expecting that out of a mecha I guess so I think I think it works because it does subvert your expectations, but then it just goes into so many weird directions and it's it's weird because it builds itself as like this action-packed mecha anime and then goes really cerebral. It goes very psychological cuz we explore Shinji is so sad and why, you know, he needs other than his mother dying. I mean, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> like why he needs his father's approval and things like that. And it's like I think the last episode, which I haven't seen, I think is literally just all in his head. Like there's no action whatsoever. It's like him sitting in an empty chair getting psychoanalyzed. Mm-hmm. So, but again, it's also not fun to watch. <laughs> and what it do makes you mean, John. I mean, you've got giant robots fighting extraterrestrial enormous creatures. I mean, what what's not to love? Because it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't yes, make any okay. sense. And I keep, but I keep going back to it because I'm like, all right, this time it'll make sense. This time it'll work. <laughs> this time all the pieces will come together. I feel like a battered housewife. I keep coming back, <laughs> okay. and I'm like. So I'm like, well, I was. uh, I I wanted to speak to, regardless of that, I want to speak to what I think is the true appeal, Mm -hmm. and that's not only the liminal thrill you get of watching giant robots fight giant. Aliens, but it is also that angst. I think mm-hmm. not just Shinji himself, but he has another cohort. She has two female co-pilots, right? Mm-hmm. And so you know who doesn't? Who doesn't have that fantasy of having two female colleagues that you can potentially um, <laughs> <laughs> you can potentially wrangle and exactly uh, into a into a relationship. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. One of them is blue hair. I mean, uh, one, one the Ray is the blue haired one, and she's very quiet and stoic. And then you have Mieko, who's like loud and bombastic, and she's from yeah. Germany, so she spouts random German nonsense sometimes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But yeah, right. I guess I guess you're right. I guess you're right. It does appeal to that teen sensibility quite strongly. Yeah, that's the surface level appeal. But somehow there's there's some kind of wall between you and the show. Mm-hmm. I think you want to appreciate it in the same way that the internet does, but mm-hmm. it, it it because of how nonsensical it is, that just isn't happening. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, and the other thing too is like they came out with two movies after the original series ended to kind of give it more of that bombastic apocalyptic uh, conclusion that fans were expecting. And then, then they remade it a few like ten years later in in two thousand seven, like reimagining the story, even though it's just kind of like retelling the first few episodes. But then it goes in a completely different mm-hmm. direction, and it's so uh, <laughs> none of it makes any sense. <laughs> so, right. but again, like I keep going back to it because again, there's some kind of draw to it. There's something that clearly works about it. I just can't put my finger on it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think this comes from an era? I'm not sure because I'm not an anime historian. <laughs> really? But, yeah. but why are they listening <laughs> to don't... this episode? I know. I I apologize, listeners. Um, if we if we misled you, uh, however, mm-hmm. I think one one thing I see with between like Crunchyroll, there is so much stuff right now. I mean, it's literally like half the GDP of Japan seems to be um, <laughs> anime stuff. Exactly. So is it the fact that I? other than maybe like Astro Boy and Dragon Ball or something like that, this was at a time for hashtag 90s kids, Mm -hmm. their first exposure to anime and kind of seeing something different. I mean, do you think that there's a nostalgia factor to it as well probably and it's like you want to you want to reclaim the... those days when you were staying up late at night and it felt like uh it, it you felt this thrill of because um, i remember there was also this thrill when you our first exposure to anime was like adult swim mm-hmm. it's circa say 2001 mm-hmm. before, before um that family guy and uh aqua teen Hunger force took over <laughs> um <laughs> That was for Sundays, Greg. Okay, Saturdays is still Sundays, all anime, okay. baby. Yeah, all right, nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not, and not nice because well, a lot of it is terrible. No, However, and I think like, that's, there was this—that's the weird. There was a perverse thrill to it. Yeah. No, but I think that's also the ambivalent feelings that you probably have as an anime fan—is that you desperately want. All the cliches but you also desperately want you know something new so that's kind of the weird yeah. thing about I think Neon Genesis Evangelion is that it does ta- uh, toe that line or again it starts off as a very bog standard uh you know teenagers piloting giant robots like we've never seen this in an anime before this is crazy <laughs> no obviously they're riding that cliche and they go in a completely bizarre direction with it so you're right it's that it's that tug at that pull. it's like give me a story that makes sense but also surprise me <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I suppose. Well, also, I mean, Japan, Japan, and it's kind of culturally doesn't really, at least from what I know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, not not an expert, but this is from what I know. They don't espouse kind of originality. Instead, they espouse tradition and doing mm-hmm. doing things the same way, but as optimally as you can. And that's maybe what this show also epitomizes: is this at the basically the teen drama going on with, alongside this mecca this mecha drama of Mm -hmm. robots fighting aliens. So uh, I think it being the ultimate version of that as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe the fact that it's not, not exactly original or inspired, but there is something about it that, that draws you in. And so clearly it's drawn in the internet. They're obviously excited by this news of it being on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Uh, You, it seems like you're going to revisit it uh, anyway. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I can't stop myself. I'm an addict. (laughs) I'm itching. I'm jonesing. (laughs) I need to see it through. I need to see it through. I need to see how it ends. <laughs> yeah. well, actually, that's the thing. Right. I, they they announced to this show, but I don't know if the two movies that came after it will also be on there. But we'll see. We'll see. I'm sure will be. Yeah, I'm sure probably. We'll be. I mean, why would they're, they pay for exclusive stream for but only do half of it? That would be ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And they have billions to burn. Netflix is also. Yeah, Netflix is also good at the synergy because they, in addition to releasing an original movie like *The Ballad of Buster Scruggs*, they have every other Coen Brothers movie on there to say like, "Hey, you like this, you'll yeah, also like this," and, yes. and basically keep you on their platform. I mean, they're not gonna they're not gonna turn away the uh, the, the ability to keep you on for another three hours for two movies um, exactly after you've watched uh, hours of a television show. So, also *Friends*, so they can just let *Friends* go like that'll save him a hundred million right there we can we can abolish friends to the dustbin of history I know yeah I mean we've just repeated tweets we liked I'm going to repeat this one too okay (laughs) and that's um basically said it's a shame or it's actually it would be a good thing if Netflix took friends off its platform because it would expose people to other better TV shows (laughs) (laughs) Oh, jokes. There's so many jokes on Twitter. Hey, Greg, where can they find good jokes on Twitter? Uh, I'll tell you where. Okay. Um, We've recommended a few, like uh, Cranky Nelson, Pixelated Boat. (laughs) I mean, hilarious uh, feeds, which maybe maybe you already follow. But here's another account you should follow. Okay. At Aspiring Snobs. Hey, wait a minute. That sounds familiar. Yeah, we've got a... (laughs) There are a few funny tweets on there. You should check it out. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. yeah. Now, maybe if you're uh, got an older disposition and you don't want like comedy and all this news like <laughs> kind of blasted into your face, you know, want something a little bit more curated, a little bit easier to follow, maybe you'll like Facebook. Is it? Is there a page on Facebook that we can recommend? Indeed, or? there is. You can like our Facebook yes. page, the Aspiring Snobs Podcast page. Nice. Yep. And John, what if, you're, what if you're new to the internet and you want to try out this electronic mail? <laughs> I mean, how do you, what's a good like, uh, address to, uh, to send a missive to, on electronic mail? Well, like where, where should we send that to? Start by simply typing hello world into your <laughs> Gmail box and send it yes. to aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. Yes, we demand your hello world messages. Um, <laughs> please forward us your chain mail. All right, I want to hear stories about how you bought a meal for a soldier on a flight. Um, <laughs> I want to hear that 10 prayers equals, or one like equals 10 prayers. <laughs> yeah, so we can get this prayer economy up. <laughs> yeah, prayers work like, like bitcoins We've got a prayer deficit, people. <laughs> we've got a prayer deficit. All right, we need your prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Well, it's not just prayers that we need. We also need your support in the form of reviews, mm-hmm. subscriptions. So whether you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud, like wherever you are, give us a give us a like, mm-hmm. give us a five star review, saying hey these guys are pretty funny, even if it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> these people are insightful. They're geniuses. Yes, absolutely. We yes, agree with that. That that is true. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> Just write that out. And, you know, it'll help other people find the show. And we'll create a little aspiring snobs community. <laughs> it just reminded me of a little Nancy comic. She's like, there's a thought bubble on one side that says, my opinions. And it's like the speech bubble on the other side. Go on. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but yes. So, and once you, and with all that being said, mm-hmm. this is a terrible transition. I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about what we're watching next week. Yes, in anticipation of another now Disney product, Mm -hmm. um, since Indiana Jones is now under the Disney umbrella, as we all will be soon. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Not before, not before Amazon takes us. But uh, in anticipation of the new Mary Poppins film coming out, Mary Poppins Returns, uh, (laughs) which is getting some award attention. John, have you seen the Golden Globes nominees? Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. We're going to be watching for the very first time Mary Poppins. Um, Somehow it escaped us. Uh, It was not part of our VHS collection growing up as a kid. So. We were we were we strictly be. animated Disney household, absolutely. Well, because t- come on, we grew up in the Disney Renaissance. Of course, we were gonna watch. What, we, we're gonna watch some old fogies, you know, <laughs> entertainment. Come on, what am I gonna get a half animated movie? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh uh-uh. uh So yeah, we'll be watching that for the first time. It's gonna be a super califragilistic expialidocious time. And let's just get <laughs> that joke dusted off. All right. <laughs> so thank you everybody for listening.